You're listening to the Pursue God Family Podcast, the official channel for marriage and parenting topics at PursueGod.org. Join Tracy and Brian Dwyer every week as they talk about living biblically in an increasingly secular world. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org slash family. Well, hey, everybody. Today on the podcast, we have a special treat because joining me in the studio are Josh and Katie Walters. You guys are coming out with a new book. It's going to be released on January 9th. It's called New Marriage, Same Couple. And guys, we want you to tell your story and what this book is all about, because we've got a lot of listeners. Christmas is coming up. We've got a lot of listeners who are like, I want that book. We'll put a link <laughs> to the pre-order along with this. So you won't be able to get it by Christmas, but couples listening to this, maybe you can give the gift to each other that we're going to buy this book. And you're going to want to have to hear the story because Josh and Katie, the book starts with a confession, Katie, that you were hoping would be private, but it ended up being public. Tell us a little bit about that and then tell us your story and your family and all that stuff. Yeah, that's right. Well, so thank you for having us so much on this podcast. To anyone listening, we believe that there could be a supernatural transfer of the hope that God gave us through our darkest season of pain. And so, yeah, in 2008, we were at home in our living room and uh, um, the woman of the other couple um, that I had betrayed Joshua just left our house and she was in tears. And she was like, something's wrong with my marriage. You know, I don't know what's going on, but something's not right. And when she left, the smallest little murmur of a confession came out of me to Josh as I said, what if it's me? And um, when I said, what if it's me? You know, I could see this look in his eye and he tells it, you know, took him a bit to process. What is she even talking about? Because he was so shocked and so in awe. But um a few minutes later, he had run outside. They were our neighbors. I thought that that confession would stay private right there on our couch. No one would ever know about it. Um, but we say God in his grace. Now, 16 years later, it became very public um, really quickly. Yeah. And I'd say for me, it was one of those things where we were the the couple in college that uh, something like this would never happen to. And so we'd been married about seven years at that point. We were the first of our friends to get married and you know, looking Mm -hmm. back now, all the lovey-dovey, silly pet names, but also like on fire for Jesus, we're going to change the world. And uh, so it was in a very real sense, I had never experienced shock like that before. And that I had, what I thought was us being newly married. We were both getting our master's, starting a family, starting our first jobs, uh, had acquired some rental property. Like in all reality, we were we had burned up any margin that we had and we're running way too hard. But I, I thought that's what working hard and adulting and starting, you know, carrying responsibility all felt like. But what was actually happening is we were we were just slowly drifting and I wasn't tending to her heart or best caring for her, which ultimately, you know, it was it was a choice she made. But in terms of looking back at, man, how did we get there? I just mm-hmm. see where. I had allowed for drift that I labeled as normal that ended up, man, small decisions over time had some some real consequences. So Katie, let me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of hearing this for the first time, probably with our listeners who are hopefully going to get this book and get to read more about it. So you're saying, Katie, that the woman that had come over to talk with you, that she said, I think my husband's been unfaithful. Is that, am I putting this together right? Yeah. And that it was with you. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so so she you didn't did she know what what you were saying when you said it? No, I didn't say it until she left. I got it. And then so and so you said it first to Josh. So now you two are dealing with this this mistake that you made, Katie, that you're finally confessing to Josh. So you I mean, you have to deal with it with Josh first and then I'm sure you had to help the other couple deal, to deal with it as well. So this was really kind of a bombshell. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it was really just cracking the door. The next next day I went into the church to just let them know. I've I've learned that there's a lot I don't know. I'm still kind of figuring out what what's happened here and and thankfully, like I'm I'm loyal maybe to a fault. I don't know what I would have done in terms of my future. It had been a difficult season in ministry anyway, but when I went in to tell them that, they said, "Well, this Wednesday will be your last week." You can announce to the youth that you're leaving, and then they they asked us not to come back to the church. Wow. So it was a what could have been a really brutal season in our faith and our marriage. Uh, God surrounded us with some other people and really used it as kind of a, a launching to. We had always talked about moving to Charleston, but man, once you've started a family, you might as well move to Germany. It was like so hard to <laughs> find nannies, make the move, do the whole thing. But um, out of that season of of brokenness, God just launched us to a, a new place. Yeah. And we, you know, even at that church, we, we said our life first was John 10, 10, the enemy comes to still kill and destroy, but I've come that they might have life. And looking back, we can see all this stuff in hindsight, but we know now that really we focused on that abundant life part. And we had an enemy just waiting, prowling, you know, the word says like a lion and this church that we were at for those five years, it was pretty isolating. There wasn't really any friends our age. We were in our young 20s. And um, and I think over time, I started to be known as a woman of God, but I wasn't a woman of God. I was hiding a lot, hiding from Josh, hiding from God, you know. Um, and then this couple comes into the church that are our age, and they were doing student ministry with us, and we had blurred boundary lines. You know, we were hanging out way too late. The friendship, we were texting a lot. So looking back, I know for about a year I was in, you know, an emotional affair where I was Mm. thinking on this man, coveting their life, dressing for him, you know, and then what happened in our story was we had a, a, a child that was born in May and he was born premature. And during this time, there just was a lot of tension between the two of us. I had been on bed rest. Then we had this third son and during that time is when the enemy chose to just come in and, mm. you know, the the affair became a sure thing. We told each other how we felt, that mm. kind of thing. So we were both deceiving our spouses from that May until August 8th is the night that this happened. And um, again, I always say, I don't know if it was just the Holy Spirit took over my body to even murmur that little word of what if it's me? What if I'm the problem? You know, Um, but it took months of me trying to figure out how to really disclose who I was and stop hiding from Josh, from God. And um, we, we look back at that time and we are so thankful to God because it changed us so much, you know, this soul crushing time. And I would say that to anybody that's listening, you know, we see all throughout scripture, the principle of like, going low to go high, you know, breaking down in our soul, falling, failing in order for God to comfort us and rebuild us. But that is definitely what happened, you know, in our story. 
Katie, for you, you know, for our listeners, we, you know, we, we've got some resources at Pursue God. We have a series called After the Affair. I'll put a link to it below. But for you, Katie, as we, in that series, we call that the offender, right? And then Josh, okay. you're the offended. And that, that, that's not to say that marriages don't have, it, w- nobody's perfect like Jesus. So we all bring our own baggage into a marriage, but that's the language that we use. So for you as the offender, Katie, was it like, if, if this hadn't come out in this conversation, you probably would have been content to just keep this secret, probably just maybe hope it goes away. I'm not going to do that again. And maybe nobody needs to find out. I'm kind of making some assumptions here, but I'm guessing that might be how you felt and maybe how some of our listeners are feeling who might be in a similar situation. Were those some of the lies that you were listening to? Oh, absolutely. You know, if I wanted to be known as anything, it was like kind, sweet, you know, never hurtful to anyone. And this is the opposite of that. You know, you have to really face your own brokenness, your own sin. The fact that I can not only hurt a person, the person that I love the most that I was in covenant with, but another couple, you know, another woman. And, um, and then even during the, you know, dark season of rebuilding, a lot of couples say like, God will use this one day. And I was really hoping he didn't, (laughs) you know, I mean, I did not want this to be a public story. Now we've seen God use it so much in people's lives that it is a joy to share about, Mm -hmm. you know, all the, all the miracles that he did um, for us, but it was definitely not, not my hope. And it made me have to face me, you know, in so many ways. And the first principle of the book is about start with me and during this time, you know, I really had blame shifted a lot in our marriage on to Josh. The fact that I wasn't happy or content or that, you know, I was staying at home or that my life didn't look up into the right. All of that was his fault in a lot of arguments, you know, and so um, that blame shifting was such a pattern that I had that this was such an awakening to have to start with my own internal you know, soul and what was going on in there and reckoning that with God. And the amazing part was Josh actually started with him too. I don't know how he did that because we talked to so many couples where it is a good time, a reckoning time when you're standing on rubble to look at the culture of the marriage. You know, how do we want to rebuild this thing together? Um, But I still don't know how he was able to do that because if the role would have been reversed you know, you're usually in so much pain. It's hard to look at yourself. Yeah, Josh, how would you answer that? How, you know, for couples who are listening, who are maybe in a similar situation, the offended spouse, you know, we've walked, Tracy and I have walked through these kinds of things with many couples over the years. And I, sometimes I put myself in the, in the shoes of the husband who, you know, is in the situation you are in. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not really sure how I would respond. I'm not sure if I'd be so gracious and forgiving. It's, I mean, I guess what were the emotions you were feeling? You said just a minute ago that you recognized that you had let your guys drift. You took some ownership. That's awesome. Good for you. But wasn't there also some anger? Wasn't there also some like desire to just give up on this? Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't have any desire to give up on it. And that that's what I think is... Uh just all God. I look back, you know, you go through something awful or you see somebody go through something and you question like, could I do that? Or even if it's been you, you question, could I do now what I did then? You know, and I I look back and I just think, man, his grace is sufficient for today, you know, and, uh, his mercies are promised for tomorrow. And, and somehow when you, 
when you commit to the covenant and and say for better or for worse, like uh, I I don't know, man. Other than the kindness and grace of God, that um, leaving was never. A, I knew that he hates divorce, and um, the best thing for us was going to be wrestling with truth and forgiveness and and grace and encountering his love and all the promises of scripture, man, that he's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those that are crushed in spirit, that he's true to forgive and make new. And so I think, uh, I think I just knew to my core that perseverance, faithfulness, like some of these like un, often uncelebrated, unappreciated attributes of God that you don't want to have to wrestle with. You only get to really experience when you're in a, in a pit. And so Leaving, leaving was never uh, was never an option. But I think to answer Katie's question, like how did I do that? I think it was a a reality that there was no switch I could flip to make her love me again. Hmm. And now that now that the truth had come out, and she was kind of verbalizing, I don't know that I love you anymore. I don't know that I want to be married to you anymore. I was going through the motions of trying to serve her trying to show that I love her, trying to care for her, trying to give her space while also protecting our home. Cause the guy was, it took months for the, the calls to stop or for me to discover a private email address that had been made yeah. or, you know, so I was still actively trying to love, serve and care for Katie while also protect and hold our family together. But what I wanted in that season that I, that I had some of in some ways, like we opened up all access to all passwords, all that stuff. But like, so I had some control in terms of what was in the light, but what I had no control over was her heart. Like I couldn't make her love me. I couldn't make her like me want to stay flirt, any of those things. And so I think that forced me kind of, you hear that, business language of like when the leader gets better everybody gets better it was like all right i'm gonna go after god like i never have before believing that what i'm desiring is a god authored you know it's it's his will he hates divorce Mm. he doesn't want our marriage to unravel he wants good for us we've gotten ourselves here so man it was just a Mm -hmm. a desperation going after him like i never had that i feel like laid a foundation to really take us to a new, because even as a pastor, I mean, you know, I'm in church 52 weeks a year and talking about him, leading others to him, but it's really not until you're in a desperate place that you can hunger for him like you, like you never have. And so, yeah. And that's, that's true. I mean, I tell him, because we meet with a lot of couples and especially when you've been hurt and you have pain, you want that pain and anger out of your body. You want it onto someone else. He knew so that night one, you know, that that was going to be his anger, deep sadness to handle with God. So he never tried to take that out on me, you know, never yelled at me, never. I don't, I don't, there's, I don't know. If I get upset with him about anything, I'm like coming after him, (laughs) attack mode, trying to get that pain out of my body. But he really did take it, take it to God. And what I learned during that time. And this is why I'm so passionate towards couples that maybe it's not an affair, but you've just drifted to a place where you just don't believe that you have the same love that you once had. There's no feelings there. You know, you don't think you like the person anymore. Sometimes that's our own doing because of sin. I mean, I had taken my energy and focused it elsewhere 
for a long period of time. And that lens starts to make you see the person different and put walls up. You know, sometimes it is our own doing. Sometimes it's just life. You know, you've just had trial after trial or the the world's just beat you down, you know. Um, either way, if you get to that point in your marriage where you just don't find yourself having any emotions, any love connection, these early on feelings of lust and endorphins, you know, I thought, well, if we stay together, like the Bible says, I'll have like a pal, you know, a chum. But like that won't come back. And Josh very early on said, you know, Katie, I'm asking you to go to a new place, a deeper place of love with me. I had no idea that that was possible. And um, but that is what happened. You know, the God who authors these emotions and all the chemical makeup of our body and that makes, you know, that person your favorite and gives you butterflies like he restores all of those things back as you start to cultivate your love again, Mm -hmm. as you start to, you know, um, put time and energy there. So that was just, that was a really important principle for us and so many couples that, again, if it hasn't been a a betrayal or an affair, but you still find yourself there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the themes of your book, you guys say everybody needs a second marriage, not, not just people who have experienced this kind of devastation, but everybody needs a second marriage. And maybe that resonates with our listeners even right now to say, yeah, that's so true. I could, you know, why not get it? Why not restore that love that you initially had before something devastating has to test it out like it did for you guys? You know, when, it, when Tracy and I counsel with couples, you know, whether they've gone this far or not, sometimes they, you can see that one or both of them have gotten to this point where they've lost that love for each other, whatever. Mm-hmm. They've lost that, that, that fire that was kindled at the very beginning. And Tracy will say to them, hey, why don't we just stop? You know, they'll, they'll both share their stories. And I'm sitting there as the non-counselor in the room, just a pastor. My wife's got a master's in counseling psychology. So she's, she's thinking about it in terms of helping them restore. And I'm thinking, boy, this sounds hopeless. <laughs> you know, she doesn't love him anymore. He doesn't love her anymore, whatever. And she, I love, she, she usually asks this question. She says, could we just stop right now and go back to a time when you both, like, like when you loved each other? Why'd you guys yeah. get married in the first place? I mean, every couple, every couple changes. When they hear that question, you can kind of start seeing that they can bring themselves back to that yeah. initial time. and. Uh, and, and it reminds them that there was something there, Katie, like you're just saying, there was something there at the beginning. Let's not lose sight of that. And let's see if we can get back to what that thing was. So why don't we talk about these principles? Because in the book, you, you lay out four principles that, that you learned in your own crisis that really helped you to stay. And I can tell, Josh, that you must be a pastor because, because you put it into an acronym, STAY, S-T. <laughs> A Y. I'm guessing that was you, Josh, not Katie, but whatever. Yeah, for sure. I tried to get it neatly into three points, but it just wasn't. It just uh, didn't work. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the Southern Baptists wouldn't probably accept you then. But so here it is. Here's the first principle. You say, start with me. Katie, you already mentioned this, but talk about that a little bit. What do you mean when you say the first principle is that it starts with me? That's really just about in our pain. The tendency is to point to the source. And, and so mm-hmm. when you've been betrayed... I didn't make this decision. I didn't have another relationship. This was your choice. You are the problem. And so start with me before we, and we all so naturally do it, some to a greater extent than others. But before you shift any blame, 
uh, acknowledge I can't change her heart. I can't control or change the future as to what comes of this, but I can start with me and say, okay, God, what do you want to do in my heart? One, he wants to counsel, comfort, and, and care for you. Like, man, your pain matters to him. And scripture says he is close to the brokenhearted. So apart from the situation, just you as a person, man, if I start with me, then I can receive the comfort of God. And if you don't do that, then you're going to live and react out of your pain. Your anger mm-hmm. is going to lash out. And so I think for your own comfort is a big part of starting with me, but then also for rebuilding. Like you you got here for a reason. And so if you don't start with you, uh, you might remedy you know, the wound, if you will. You might bandage what's visible to everyone else. But if you shortcut the work that needs to happen inside of you, man, you're bound to repeat it again. And so... Mm-hmm. Both of you, starting with me, allows you to kind of go on your own journey with God so that he can do a work in the two of you together. Okay, so now, so let, but let me ask you this, Katie, for you, you mentioned that at some point in this process when the confession came out that you, 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 you said you were thinking about blame shifting, but there was some real distance that had been created and like how early did you share that? Because a lot of times the person who's bringing shame to the table is just going, I'll do whatever you need to. And you're not dealing with the original issue. So this is a a tricky tension here because you, you recognize you made a big mistake, number one, but number two, you also recognize there were some other things, some conditions, some preconditions that, uh, that helped allow for the mistake. Like how soon did you start sharing I guess both sides of that, you know, you shared the confession of your fault, but how soon did you bring in? Well, I think there's some other things in this marriage that need help. I think it was pretty quickly. And the reason why was because one of my lowest nights, more had come out about the affair and we were staying at my parents' house. And it was the first night that that shame felt like it was going to swallow me. So we're probably a couple weeks in at this point. And for somebody who has been the offender, you know, shame is seeking to kill you. That's where it's trying to take you. And um, and I was really at a low and I was contemplating that. Like, do I even want to be here, you know, anymore? I've hurt my husband. I, this is so public, you know. Um, and in that moment, I grabbed my Bible and I, I heard the voice of God. I heard him say like, Catherine, I love you. I have plans for you. And when I heard God's voice at that low, low point, it started to let me feel like I could really be exposed because the truth is he saw this all along. Mm -hmm. And when I heard, okay, he loves me. He doesn't love what I did. There's consequences, but God, the God of the universe sees us in all of our brokenness and loves us. And so that really allowed me to stop hiding and it felt like for worse because I would tell him everything. I would tell him I wore this headband for him or I would tell him I don't feel this. I would bring him journals that said like boo-boo schnooky, you know, (laughs) that I used to call him and I'd be like, I don't feel this way for you anymore. You know, I would tell him everything. But what we learned, we call this principle in the book confession therapy because what we learned is that that actually helped us to start to heal because I was able to expose myself and deal with me you know, and, and stop hiding. And what's so counterintuitive Mm -hmm. is that as she would share something random, like he loved this headband, she didn't have to tell me that. But as she, as she put stuff on the table 
and trusted that I was big enough to handle it and that her conscience could then be clear of any thoughts that were hidden, man, we could throw away the headband, like forget it, you know, let's get rid of it. And so in time over and over and over, oh, I just had a memory of something I may not have told you. Well, you did tell me that. But just the fact that she was bringing it up, like there was nothing in, in hiding. And I would say for me too, like, and that's where Start With Me was so powerful. Like I developed this hatred for hiding that I realized as a man, no one had ever said like, Josh, you need to, you need to know how to make all the right decisions and be a solid leader at work and at home. I need you to be a perfect dad and the the best husband. <laughs> like, but for whatever reason, man, I had just put all that on myself that I was supposed to have the answers and be the man. And man, there had been some baggage from like childhood, just stuff that I had done that I was ashamed of or that it happened to me that I had never told anyone. Mm. And it was in this season that I developed this hatred for hiding. Um, and so even once we had moved to Charleston and had shared our story in full with some of the pastors here and I was offered a job, I had to go back to the director of HR to just say like, hey, you, you've heard my, my story, right? You know, and so it was the first time that I've felt fully known Mm-hmm. as a leader to not have to have any of me in hiding. And so I think for both of us, God had some similar steps in a journey, but our own journeys to kind of let us be fully free yeah, and rebuilding. And for couples, you know, you can fight anything that's in the light. So we still use these principles today. Confession therapy, I'll tell him like, can you handle me? Or I need to tell you something hard tonight. Or I'm feeling this propensity towards this sin or anything. You know, if couples will be that vulnerable and exposed with each other, you can fight the real enemy, which is not you, you know, (laughs) which is not each other. So um, Start With Me has a a bunch of different principles around that. And then the next one is take quitting off the table. This was really more a principle that I needed to get in my soul. Like he said, he's loyal. He's faithful. I don't know. His dad's a Marine. He just has that longevity in him. In fact, when we were early married, somebody said, "What are the what's the one thing you want your marriage to be known for?" And I said, "Like fun and adventure." And he and he said, "I want it to be known for faithfulness." And I was like, "Faithfulness, <laughs> <laughs> faithfulness. That's the most boring thing I've ever heard." You know. Yeah. Um, but the the thought and, there is that people people uh, leave leave in their mind long before they go. And so when you take quitting off the table, it's just shutting the back door and saying, you know, and that's with our language of, you know, I remember early on in marriage getting in a big argument and just the thought maybe we we would be better separated or the use of the word divorce in a fight Mm -hmm. and taking quitting off the table is just acknowledging, man, I'm going to finish this race with you. And so whatever mess we're going through right now. It's for our good and God's glory, but the idea of me doing it with anyone else or anywhere else isn't in the in the cards. Mm-hmm. So, Josh, did you have to lead Katie through that principle? I mean, because then Katie's coming to you saying this thing, and then she's the one saying, I'm not sure if I love you anymore. So, again, a lot of couples listening to this are saying that's the situation we're in right now. And, I, and we've, I've seen some, some spouses that say, okay, fine, and they're not then it's almost like the second response is what gives permission to like dissolve the marriage. Josh, did you have to, did you have to 
help Katie to understand that principle of, of faithfulness. And we can make it through this. We're, let's take, I'm going to take quitting off the table, but, but Katie, you need to as well. Yeah. For I sure. would say in that season, I, um, you know, how things are, uh, some things are caught, not taught. And so I would say for her, um, I knew I could not change her. And I also knew that I wasn't a, there was a, a good stretch where she thought I just wanted to win her. Like she didn't trust that my intentions were, were of God and a better future. And this is God's will. And so it, it was not a season where I was trying to teach Katie anything as much as I was going after God, knowing that like, ultimately it's, it's what you know about your person that gets you to the altar, uh, but it's everything that you don't know about them that you're making a vow and committing to before the Lord. And so in these moments where crap hits the fan and it's as ugly and painful as you could have ever imagined, you know, that is the worse sickness, poorer, you know, the, the parts of the vows that we've never had any feelings associated with. And so for taking quitting off the table, it was a... A clinging to the promise of God that I am committed to what your word says. I acknowledge your will for, and, and this isn't to say like, man, there are situations where out of abuse or safety or neglect, like mm-hmm. we're not talking about the exceptions here where you need to remove yourself for your own safety. But when it comes to marital conflict and you just having a mundane, mediocre marriage you're not satisfied with. That is not what God wants for you. And so I would say in that season, I tried as best I could to model the heart of God that I had for that day for us. And I was going to let him fill me up and you know give, yeah. give me new orders tomorrow. And that's why we say it was really miracles of God fighting for us because his prayers were working. You know, God was speaking to me. One, one day I went out for a run and I felt like the Lord, I said to the Lord, like, you can have my feet. You know, my heart is still feels like it's not fully here, but you can have my feet. And God spoke to me on that run and said, then you have to be all here, planted here. I want your eyes, your attention, your prayers devoted to him. Which that was the best, like for any woman to come back home and say, well, my heart's not here, but I told God you can have my feet. I was like, best he was news like, I'd ever heard. Give me those that's feet. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, know. you know, knowing that like, man, that's all, we, that's all you need. If you have two couples or two people that are willing to work, mm. um, I was at a totally different place than Katie was, but she, she had closed the back door. She took quitting off the table. You can have my feet was her way of saying physically, I'm not going anywhere. And, and I knew that like physically, God, you keep her in this house. And and it's where every day, man, I just had, and there came a point where I had been weary and, and hope, but God just restored my hope that like any day could be the day. You know, I remember the night I accepted Christ going from death to life and how radically he changed me in a moment. I just knew it's going to take one encounter with him and he can, he can reach and flip that switch that mm-hmm. I can't touch, you know, mm-hmm. so... That's good. If she's if she's there, it can happen. I love that. You, my heart's not here, but you can have my feet. That's great. Some some of our couples need to hear that because it is. It's not, we're not trying. This isn't fairyland stuff. It's real. It's yeah. real life, and it's it it does take. Sometimes it takes commitment before you feel even really feel it. We, you know, our f- first principle for marriage is that love is a choice, not a feeling. And so many yeah. people today feel are just like I don't feel. I don't love you anymore. Whenever a couple, whenever someone says that to me, I say, what are you talking about? 
Tell, yeah. Define love for me, because yeah. biblically, love is a co- is about a covenant. It's about a promise. It's not about a feeling. Feelings come and go, but love is a choice. I would say though, that's where that's where this season, whether it's betrayal or it's been years and it's distance. Like what's so powerful about pain is that it's the first time in your relationship where you're presented with a choice because feeling largely got you to the altar. You had to Mm. make a choice to enter into a covenant with one another. But oftentimes your feelings tip the scale of I love her. I love the idea of us. I love what we could build together. I love how they love me. As soon as pain, yeah, as soon as <laughs> pain about you. is entered into the story, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, it's it's really holy ground because mm-hmm. in our weakness, his power is made perfect. Man, you get yourself to a place where you're vulnerable and feeling pain of any kind, then is, man, when you're really able to see God start to build something you couldn't have otherwise. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay, so principles. We're, again... We're like good Southern Baptists. Stay. S-T-A-Y. Number one, start with me. Number two, take quitting off the table. And the third principle that you guys cover in the book is allow others to be part of this, right? So, and for, I think for some of our listeners, this is a big one, is for them to get out in the open. We're not talking about like you got to announce it to your church. We're not talking about being that public, right? But we're talking about selectively allowing other couples to really help you through this. Yeah. That's right. We would, in that season, we had never been to counseling before, and so just knew, like, man, we've gotten ourselves into a situation we can't fix. And so we started looking for counselors, and it was surprisingly difficult And that we bounced around to a few that we would learn a couple sessions in, had major theological belief differences, even though they said they were a Christian or there were personality or medical issues that... One counselor we saw had a a tear duct issue, which is awful. But like he cried our whole our whole counseling session. I was like, man, I'm I'm just hurting too bad to see my counselor <laughs> cry the whole time. I can't do it, you know. So we just had a we had a really hard time, and it was yeah. in that season that having some people that that loved us but weren't all that impressed with us. It was the first time we were able to experience the kind of community where we were able to let all our walls down. This is what she said. This is what he said. This is how I'm feeling. And man, God, God met <coughs> us there in some powerful ways. Yeah. And really they gave us vision. The couple that walked with us, um, they, they gave us vision for what could be. They had never been in our situation. In fact, the first time we met with them, she was like, I mean, Max always been my best friend. So I don't know what's the problem. And I was like, your best friend. I don't even like this man, you know. But um, but the truth was they just believed that God could do it. They believed yeah. that God could do it. They didn't they believed in God even more than us, but they had hope for us. And I think to sit with another couple, whether it's a small group or marriage mentor or just someone that you respect and admire that you can be vulnerable with in pain, that can tell you, hey, you are the solution yeah. here. And God can rebuild this with you. Whereas, I mean, we've talked to a lot of couples that will pay a lot of money for counseling and their marriage will go from like a five to a one, mm-hmm. you know, because it's basically about finding the problem, which is usually one of you, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I just the allow others to be a part of your journey is is a principle to say you've got to be able to see it. You've got to walk it out with them. you got to be open. Yeah, and the main thing they did, we would go to their they started a small group at their house on Friday nights. 
And within about a month, every other couple had either gotten a shift change, got transferred, their kids started a sport, to where it ultimately just ended up being Katie and I and Mac and Cindy every Friday. Mm. And they weren't licensed counselors, hadn't been through what we had been through, but they loved God. They were willing to create a safe space for us. And so literally there was a, a pretty good stretch where Saturday to Thursday, I wouldn't even touch conflict at home because it would lead to an argument because she thought I was trying to be controlling or just wanted to win or I wanted to focus on keeping it free and fun and easy going throughout the week. But then at Mac and Cindy's, what was great about it is that sitting across from another couple, couple you temper your language. Like you're not going to do any name calling. Mm-hmm. You're not going to let your voice get raised. You're going to really think about the words coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. And it got heated at times. Uh, but man, it just made for a safe place to say real things in a way that were somewhat more accurate. And when they weren't like, man, they could reframe things for us, help us see it. But allowing others to, to walk with us made made all the difference. And it's one of the things that give us so much hope for couples, because you may not, yeah. if you're living in a rural context or not near a large church or counselors or don't know a lot of people, man, you don't need a lot of people. You can mm-hmm. look for one couple that loves mm-hmm. God and believes in you. And, and just ask them to walk with you for a season yeah. and God will show up. And that's why we love even the pursue God because people believe that they need to be discipled in their spiritual journey. But oftentimes in marriage, just like we did, we thought we were just going to take the world, you know, and that if anyone was going to rock marriage, it was going to be us. <laughs> like I remember thinking that and, um, and then you get to these crisis points and you don't realize that every marriage has growth opportunities, mm. every single one, you know, um, so we still practice this last week. We got in an argument that we kind of kept getting stuck in, you know, if you have those arguments that it feels like you're back in the same river. And so we said, let's just go and take this argument to one of our friends. We went over there on day night. We told them, this is where we're getting stuck. This is, you know, how I'm feeling about it. And they gave us a perspective shift to just move us forward, you know, yeah. so that's allow others people. How long was the season with Mac and Cindy? How long would you say that you met with them, you know, on a Friday night? Probably three or four months. Yeah. Probably felt like longer to them because <laughs> <laughs> we stayed so late, yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, I think it was probably only three months or so. Yeah. Yeah, and I, we just encourage our listeners again. If you're if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that we've got resources at at the on the family page at pursuegod.org, and those resources are just intended to to take a series or take a topic and and not just to go through it with your spouse, which is fine, but even to say to go to someone that you respect in your church and say, would you walk? Would you talk through this series with us or this topic yeah. with it? Would you meet with us? You you you'll be surprised that. A lot of couples, as long as they know what you're asking, they might not even be familiar with the Pursue God resources. But all you have to say is, look, we just, we're, the resources are there for us, podcast driven stuff, but we just need a, like a referee couple. We just need a couple yeah. that loves Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be counselors, just real people who can help us help us to really process some of this discussion questions are there. It's, you know, it really is the easy button for this kind of thing. In fact, I'll I'll say we're, we're going to be releasing a series along with the release of your book, Josh and Katie with you guys. So all these principles that we're talking about right now, you can, you can go through each one of those. It's a, it'll be a four week series to talk about these four principles, but we have one more principle we haven't even mentioned and it's the why, and it's about yielding to vision. What does that mean? So we, um, 
shortly after everything came to light, um, I stepped away from ministry, was unemployed, and that's when kind of you, you find yourself in these seasons of not making wise decisions. Well, I was <laughs> thinking like, man, this would be the best time to buy my dream car. And so I, uh, <laughs> I found one on eBay. <laughs> And uh, we flew out to Scottsdale, Arizona, and I thought, man, if I just get her in a car with me driving across the country, everything will be better. I just know it. <laughs> what a great, home. what a great plan! Yeah, yeah. yeah so, uh, so we do that, and um, you know, it was still in the season where like highs and lows, like really bad days because I would learn or find something out, and then good days that seemed like, man, I feel like we're getting closer, and so. Uh, I was in one of those kind of weary hope seasons, and we uh, picked up the car, wanted to drive up to um, Grand, Canyon. Grand Canyon, see a sunset, and then we were going to be driving pretty much three or four days straight. One of my spiritual gifts is sleeping in the car, so I was dead asleep during yeah, this story. <laughs> she really was. She was dead asleep. We're driving up this road, and I'm, we, I've never been there. Thick of woods on both sides of me, trees as far as you could see. We round this corner right as the sun's setting, and it's this epic, like, sun, wide-open canyon, and God spoke to me in, in a moment. He's like, that's how quickly your story can change. Mm. And, and so it renewed this hope in me for, for us, for our future, that, man, is it possible that new life is just around the corner and I'm not even aware of it. And mm-hmm. and what would it look like for me to live with the kind of hope or the kind of vision that I could I could live into tomorrow, like preparing the man I am, the couple we are, to really take hold of this this abundant life that, that God has for us. And so so yield to vision is really all about like early on for us in marriage, life was so full and fun that that we focused a lot on today or at best in the short term like a vacation or some lingering fun that was coming for us in the future but we hadn't cultivated any vision around who are we going to be when all these kids are out of the house you know what is what are we going to look like as grandparents so like one of the things that we did was as we started having kids both of our parents had grandparent names that just came out of the kids mouths and so, uh, Peepaw, Mimi, Nani, Poppy, like Kiki. whatever Kiki, whatever it they could say, like yeah, <laughs> whatever they could plan. say is what they were. And so we, we picked out grandparent names and we had them tattooed on our, on our ring fingers. Uh, I'll be bear and she's going to be Ruby. And so we started talking about like, what do bear and Ruby, what do they like as grandparents? Mm. What do we want life to look like when our kids are grown? You know, so yield division is really all about one Dreaming to a degree that like hope for a preferred future with each other is something that can be a reality for you, but then also giving some real practical steps on, because a lot of folks, myself included, I would say Katie's much more of a visionary than I am, and that can feel really difficult. And so my, my favorite part of the book is actually the workbook, just because it gives folks a lot of the questions and, and conversation and tools to be able to apply it to whatever season or struggle they might be. It has a full like guide to vision weekend, you know, different questions you can ask. Yeah. This is the format of the plan you could do. Um, but we still use that yield to vision in every season of where are we trying to go? You know, how, what's God doing new in our life? What are we dreaming about together? Um, the things that are so important, you know, to your love and to your marriage. Well, you guys are amazing. It's fun to hear your story and just the wisdom you've gained through this experience. And by the way, we didn't mention this, but you have 
you did make it and you more than made it <laughs> because you have seven kids. You have seven kids yeah. now. You never, you must never have figured out what caused that, but um, it, it's- <laughs> well, I'll tell it's, you one funny side note of that. So our, it was our second date and um, uh-huh. both of us growing up had best friends that were one of seven. And so I told, not knowing that, told her, like, I went home and told my roommate after our first date, like, bro, I think she's the one who's like, shut up, man, whatever. <laughs> and so second date, I was like, hey, big question, make or break question here. How many kids do you want to have? Let's say your number on the count of three. And we both said one, two, three. We both said seven. Seven. The same like, time. No way. Oh. So <laughs> that's always kind of been the, been the dream. Yeah. Nobody told us how hard it was going to be to actually raise them, though. So (laughs) Exactly. Well, yeah, that was your vision. And boy, talk about yielding to vision because you have seven kids. That's awesome. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the full series. So just once again, the book is called New Marriage, Same Couple. It comes out January 9th. We'll put a pre-order link down below. So couples, give this gift to each other. Go ahead and pre-order the book and get ready to read it. There's a workbook that that is included with it. We're going to be coming out with a Pursue God series. Tracy and I will be meeting with Josh and Katie. So you can go through this with other couples at your church. So we encourage you to check it out. Josh, Katie, it's been awesome. God bless you guys, your ministry, your marriage. And I hope the book is just a huge success. Thank you. Thanks Thanks, for all you're doing. Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.